Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work to reconnect the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. Learn more about my connectfulness counseling practice and my online workshops at connectfulness.com. Hey there, I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Today I'm joined by Esther Boykin. Esther is a psychotherapist who wants to live in a world where everyone believes that therapy is not a dirty word. Esther is the CEO of Group Therapy Associates, a private practice in the DC metro area, and she works every day to make mental health more accessible, innovative, and culturally relevant for all people. In this episode, Esther and I talk a bit about therapy and about getting to know ourselves and about boundaries. And I think one of the most important things that we can all work on is our own discernment, our own boundary work. And part of the reason it's so important is because the proximity at which we can get to know other people all really relates to how well we know ourselves. And that's what a lot of today's conversation is going to be about. So dig in with us, and I hope that you enjoy the episode. Welcome back, folks. We're here today with Esther Boykin. Esther, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am I am a fan of your podcast, so it's oh. lovely to uh, be here today. This is one of my favorite parts about podcasting is when I get to meet the people that I'm fans of too, and like we have, we get to build these relationships. So it's one of my favorite parts. Um, so you you do so many different things. Among them, you you have been on podcasts, you have a podcast, you have a group practice, like there's so many different components of your work. And if we were to summarize a lot of what you do, it's this message that you promote um, that I think is just a great place for us to start. And that's that therapy is not a dirty word. Yeah. It's like my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing to say. (laughs) I'll let you say it. Okay. (laughs) Therapy is not a dirty word. And you know, and in my heart, like when I, when I say that, and I think about that as kind of, I mean, I would, I would probably say that that's the foundation or like the vision behind a lot, most of my work, 
yeah. is it's all of the components that make up therapy, right? Like not just therapy, like get a therapist, go to session, but like all the things that we explore are not dirty words, vulnerability and like authenticity and being with our feelings, owning our story. Like I want people, I want all of us to get more and more comfortable with like, these are things that we get to talk about, not just in therapy sessions, but everywhere. You know, I didn't grow up in a, in a home where all of what you're talking about was okay, which I think is why I am a therapist and why I study things like relational health. Um, But I'm, I'm wondering if it was the same for you or if it was like, like, how did you find your way into like this being this thing that you're so passionate about, I guess is really what my question is. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think not to throw all other therapists in this bucket, but I think that that, that what you just said is true for so many of us, mm-hmm. that part of the draw is about recognizing something. And I, for me, I, not to sound super woo woo with, you know, woo woo therapist, woo-woo but- is welcome. <laughs> for me, it was sort of like the, that inner knowing, like, I know yeah. that this is important. And, and I will say, I will give my parents credit. Like, I don't, I would not say that I grew up in a household that was similar to maybe like what my own kids grew up with, where we talk a lot, you know, vulnerability is a word that they knew and could define. And like, we, you know, I'm always talking about, you know, how are we feeling and how do we, you know, want to express ourselves. But I also come from, you know, an immigrant family. My parents are both from Jamaica. Um, anybody who's from a Caribbean family or knows about Caribbean family, like I will give my parents a lot of credit for being farther down the sort of emotional, relational awareness and health being a priority than a lot of their counterparts. Like, yeah. I think that was something which I, I, I do appreciate, like there were shortcomings, but it also, I think, gave me just enough room to, to be curious and to feel safe about kind of exploring like, oh, okay, this is a field. This is a career that I could have. And I, I've always felt like relationships are foundational to the well-being of like, of children, of community, of, of all of us as a society. And so that's definitely has been my, that was my pull to, I didn't know it was pulling me to marriage and family therapy as, mm-hmm. a, as a specialty. Cause I didn't know that was a specialty until the end of undergrad, but it was always there for me. It was always there. There were a few things I just heard you um, say as you were talking about that, that really kind of like, just, I don't know, I, I got like a warm, fuzzy feeling as I was hearing it. And you were talking about your family and, you know, even, even in all of the places where it might not have been perfect. I mean, whose family is ever perfect? There's no such thing. Right. Um, but I heard you talking about that. It was safe for you to be curious and explore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really, both my parents were educators, they worked in higher ed. And, and so I think that academic curiosity sort of spilled over into, we should be interested in, it, in the world, in like learning yeah. new things and interested in yourself, that that's like a real thing. And so, um, yeah, there, there are lots of things I look back on now and think as a kid, it didn't seem important to me, but you know, my summer camps were always at like universities and we yeah. went on weird road trips that like we stopped at landmarks and went to museums and things like that, that sometimes felt boring or ridiculous, you know, like not as fun as everyone else going to like Six Flags, but it did foster a sense of like, oh, the world is interesting. People are interesting. People are interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so that expansiveness that I'm hearing in there, right? Like to me, 
when I think about relationships, just all relationships, relationships between two people or groups of people or whatever, a healthy relationship to me feels more expansive, mm -hmm. right? And um, the more kind of collapsed or shut down or frozen we get um, or avoidant we are, like that's where I think of things not really being relational, not really being connected. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny. I think a lot of my clients would say, I say often, how can we make more space for that? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I feel that. I feel that I probably do that too. My clients will probably come back and tell me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to dive in a little bit more to talking about this idea about therapy, not being a dirty word about all these things that therapy encompasses that I think you and I probably agree with this. It makes us more expansive, healthier humans, people mm -hmm. that are more connected and um, relatable in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I guess that moves us to talking about things like relationships or vulnerability, um, what it means to be intimate, like emotionally, how we, mm -hmm. oh, boundaries. 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 boundaries, 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 always boundaries. <laughs> Which I think, you know, it's interesting to sort of, I think, talk about boundaries as, as a starting place for more connectedness. Mm -hmm. Because I think so often people, we come to the conversation or the, you know, the thought process around boundaries yeah. from a place of, oh, I haven't been setting them. <laughs> so now I need to put up all these walls and fences and tell everyone what to do and how to be around me. And so I think when we come to boundaries from that place, we, I think it's easy to overlook the fact that boundaries to me are really about creating deeper connection, right? It's about yeah. figuring out like, how can I was like, boundaries are an invitation. Mm -hmm. This is how we can be even closer. Yeah. I want to be close to you. And like, this is the way that, that for me, it would work and tell me more about what you would need for us to get deeper and closer and more intimate. Not that it's about saying like, oh, you know, don't talk to me, don't do this, don't do that. Let me put up these walls and fences around me, myself and my heart really. I love how you put that. And I just wanna rewind a little bit and, and restate what you just said, because it feels really powerful to me that boundaries are an invitation in terms of how we can get closer. Yeah. 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 What a, yeah. what a like mind shift that is, right? To think of boundaries as invitations for more intimacy as opposed to just walls. Mm -hmm. And I think it, at least for me, it helps to often make sense of why that feels so vulnerable, mm -hmm. right? Because I think sometimes, certainly sometimes I talk to clients and other people and it feels like, why am I having such a hard time establishing boundaries? Why is it? Why do I feel anxious about that? Why am I afraid to say it? Because if I care about myself, like these are my values, or like I should be able to right, say but you it. You just hit on something really huge there. If I care about myself, mm -hmm. right? Like why am I having trouble setting boundaries? Often comes back. I think in my practice, this is what I see in my own life and my yeah. practice, like all of it. Right? Mm -hmm. Is that I struggle the most. My clients struggle the most to set boundaries when we when we don't feel our own worth. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I see that so often. And I think when we, for me, that shift in perspective 
helps to bring that a little bit more to the forefront of like, oh, because it's, it's scary, especially when I'm questioning my own value and my worth to invite someone to be closer to me. And if mm. boundaries are about inviting you to be closer, to love me more, to, to value me, to respect me, and I'm questioning my, my own ability to do that for myself, then it's terrifying. Yeah. And so I think that shift of like, oh, this is about sometimes softening the way we are with each other. That for me, that's also a big part of it is um, sometimes we learn all these things and then you know, we, it becomes another way to be hypercritical instead of like softening and being more compassionate with ourselves and saying like, oh yeah, the reasons why I'm struggling here to feel yeah. like I deserve this kind of love or connection. And that's okay. Like I can work through that as opposed to, oh, what's wrong with me? Right. And so what you're leaning into there is something that we started talking about before we started recording, which are these different layers and different ways that we can really listen to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's that those inner questions of like, well, what's happening inside here? Yeah. Yeah. How can we be more curious about our own experiences? And I think for me, it's that sense of curiosity about the layers as a, that as I will say both personally and with my clients, I feel like when we get to that space, we learn so much more because it, it's sort of freeing from the judgment around it. I should be this way instead of, huh, I wonder why I'm feeling this or I wonder why this is coming up or what is coming up for me that is getting in the way or that is moving me in a particular direction like that openness that I love the word expansiveness, right? Be a more expansive way of being with yourself and then, and ultimately being with others. Totally. I'm, I'm noticing that like in so many different ways, I think this is also something that we've all been in kind of like lockdown for over a year now, right. In different ways and different kind of formats. All of us have our own comfort levels and what we're kind of choosing to do around that. But in many ways, we've been less expansive (laughs) in terms of, right, who we're with and how we're managing things. And we've been more boundaried in terms of those kinds of things. And so as we kind of get to this next layer of whatever we're all living through, right, there's going to be more like collective renegotiations of what am I comfortable with? And I think that really leans into a place where many of us can be exploring like, what, what is okay with me? What do yeah. I want to do? What would feel comfortable for me? And kind of learning to listen to those parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, which is always, I, I think it's often, I won't say it's always, it's often challenging is the, it's okay to listen to yourself first and I think sometimes it's that it's like we get, and I feel like for a lot of people, or I won't say that for myself, that's been one of the gifts of this year yes. has been a reorienting of like, oh, what's, what's comfortable for me first mm-hmm. and then kind of moving into like, okay. And then where's everybody else? And then, okay, now we can have these conversations about renegotiating boundaries and and ways of being with one another. Um, And I think so often we've gotten to a place where we don't, we don't listen to us first. It's everyone else. And then 
you kind of notice where you're maybe resisting or like something feels uncomfortable or, but like, oh, what if we start with us and then share that? And I that, think that changes know, everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's intimacy because intimacy is like, you've, you've probably heard this, but like into me, I see, right? So mm-hmm. if intimacy is about seeing into the self and then sharing it, that's the vulnerability part of it. Right. Right. That's the authentic part of it. And so how do I share parts of myself if I don't know who they are? Exactly. I think that I love that because it it gets lost, right? Like we think of intimacy as how can I be closer to other people? Mm -hmm. So our focus is so externally oriented. It's like, but the way to be closer to others is first to get close enough to ourselves. Like you can't get close to me if I don't know me. Cause I don't, cause you, if I don't know, then you can't know. And then like, how are we connecting? Right? Like what are we connecting around? And so I, I love that, that reminder of like coming into ourselves first is really actually the way in which we move closer to others. Yeah. And also discern which, who are the others we want to be close to, right? Like how right, close discernment. are people? Yeah. 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 And so that brings us back to this phrase of yours and, and I'm just, I'm going to keep using it because I, I'm like loving the way it sounds coming out of my mouth and just feeling into it. Right. But that therapy is not a dirty word and therapy is that space where you get to know you. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah which makes me then think about family of origin stuff, because like, this is one of the things that I geek out on all the time. Right. But so much of the time, the the deeper I get into this work, the more I study it, the longer I've been a therapist, the more I understand that for so many of us, for whatever reason, and I really have a lot of respect um, for our ancestors and believe that I'm, I, I really believe every one of them in many ways, tried to do the best they could. And still there's this intergenerational transmission of trauma that gets passed down from generation to generation. And many of us grow up in homes where we don't really get to know ourselves. We spend our childhoods trying in many ways to orient ourselves around keeping a family system stable and safe and Mm -hmm. taking care of the grownups in our lives. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It, it makes me think about, I have lots of thoughts about sort of the- Bring it. <laughs> generational trauma and all of those things, yeah. but it, it actually, it brings me to this space of, I was having a conversation. I was actually having a conversation with my son. I have adult children, young baby adults, I like to call them. <laughs> um, but we'll always be your baby. <laughs> Yeah, they can't outgrow that. They can't. <laughs> also, they like barely want to be full on adults. So it works out for them. But we were talking about sort of therapy and like, and just growth in general. And I was saying, you know, sometimes the hardest work in therapy is, is actually being, cultivating a relationship where it feels gentle, mm-hmm. right? Where it isn't about taking care of any, your therapist. It isn't about, love or right. you know, pointing out all the negative. It's about being in a space where someone says, tell me more about you. Let's get, let's get to know you. And like all these parts of who you are at your core, like coming back to that place. And that, that is so often, I think sometimes the hardest work that we do 
because, and I think in part because of what you just said, yeah. so much uh, of childhood, which in theory is the time when we do that is when we're <laughs> sort of most, um, I don't want to say authentically, but sort of most oriented to like our own wants and needs and desires yeah. and like perspective of the world. But it's developmentally some, appropriate. Like that's what we're supposed to be doing yeah. in childhood. We're supposed to be self-absorbed. Yeah. And yet, because despite their best efforts, so many parents, grandparents, I mean, generation after generation showed up with so much stuff that they were trying to heal that childhood often becomes this place of where, how do I play into this dynamic that keeps things safe for as many of us as possible for me? And then as many of us as possible, right? Like I kind of have to. And so it becomes foreign. Mm-hmm. To reach adulthood and finally have the room in the space, that's terrifying because yeah. part of what we learned in childhood is it's not safe to be focused on our own needs and wants and who we are in the world. Right. That's selfish, right? Right. No, I yeah. mean, it isn't, but it, it's what we're but, told. But that's what we're, yeah, it's what we're told. And yeah. that's, and, and I think that's such an interesting question sometimes for us to reflect on is, what's the cost of self? If we think of that as being selfish, yeah. what would being selfish cost you when you were a child? What would that have meant? I love thinking about it in this way. Like, what is the cost of that? Yeah. It, it changes, it changes the weight, right? Like, mm-hmm. because now we can bring back in that there was a cost right? And, and when I can name that there was a cost, that opens some expansiveness for some more compassion. Like, well, what, if, if I am looking for what that cost was, like, what was maybe missed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and I know it's hard sometimes to do, but holding that space, because I think often we don't want to make people try not to vilify parents mm-hmm. and, and other aunt, caregivers and ancestors and being able to say, but there was a cost to all of us. Yeah. And we don't have to go quite to a place of blame. We can just understand it and then be like, and now what does it cost us now? Does that make sense? Yeah. Now at this place in my life, you know, I, I did it because it made sense then. Right. And uh, one of my mentors, Terry Real, he'll often say things like adaptive then, maladaptive now, yeah. right? So yeah. it was something that we needed back mm-hmm. then and now less so. And I think when I look at who's coming into my practice and who's really digging into this work, I'm noticing a theme that I have people of all different age ranges and orientations and um Yet I noticed that middle-aged folks who are coming to this work, often when they're launching their children into the world, mm-hmm. come into this work really differently and with a different degree of, well, they have different life experience, amount of different life experience to reflect on. Right? Yeah. And so they come into the work in a really different place than someone who's say in their like 20s or 30s. Yeah. I, I think that that's really true. And it's... Um... And that I think the 
at least in my experience. Yeah. I think they also bring a certain amount of grief that's different than in your twenties and thirties, because it is about, yeah. it's not just about childhood and like what happened right. then, but it's, you have a, a life, like a substantial yeah. chunk of life that you look back on and you're beginning to sort of see and unravel and go like, oh, look at the places where I compromised who I really was because I thought I had to, right? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, for good reason. But like, I think I'm finding that there's a lot of grief work that grows alongside of this, of being able to learn to have a deep compassion for your 20 and 30 year old yeah. self and going, she did what she did, what she knew how to do because she, that's what she understood. And as you start to unpack that, I think, I think that there's such a, we try to be really conscientious of that, of really honoring like those versions, the, the early versions of ourselves, right? Yeah. Who that peeling back these layers and unraveling things and thinking about doing it differently that we also have to grieve because you start to see those, those old experiences through a new lens where you're like, oh, I could have done that differently. I could have had a very different experience. Um, and, and there's some pain in that, you know, I think that grief is so important to sit with. Right. Mm -hmm. And I do believe it's the entry point for compassion in a lot of different ways. And especially towards the self and in relationship with other, that grief is often a bridge. It connects us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my microphone's falling on my face. <laughs> <laughs> microphone's like oh the grief <laughs> grief of that <laughs> so this laughter yeah. that we're sharing right now is not necessarily about grief it's about the shared moment and yeah yeah the grief grief is like an important piece of the puzzle and so often we're oriented towards I mean how much of of our society actually sits with grief yeah right actually <laughs> sits with accountability. Great. Mm -hmm. right. It's not very often. Yeah. I think that's part of what has been hard for people um, for many this over this year is, yeah. and I want to be really clear, like I think that ritual and tradition is incredibly important, particularly mm -hmm. around things like grief and like it's an yes. important way that we process that in a, in a collective experience. But I think we've also now had a year of having to face, like, we don't get to distract ourselves in the same way mm -hmm. with busyness. And I think that that has become in this, in our culture societally, like a way of moving through grief, getting distraction. Yeah. Distraction. And like, I can be, Oh, you know, I sent flowers and I wrote a card and I, you know, I baked a casserole and, you know, we've grieved and it's over, or, you know, I posted a thing and, you know, we had a meeting and so we've done accountability and we're done. And so the increased or the slower pace of this year and the increased amount of time that many people have had being just with themselves or, you know, with a much smaller group kind of forces us to sit with those things. Um, yeah. I won't say force, 
it's been a, a bolder invitation for us to sit with some things that have that are often harder to sit with. We don't have as much experience sitting with, um, but it's important, you know? And I think that taps into the growth edge, right? Because when we don't have the experience, it feels really awkward, uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? We get sometimes judgy about that awkwardness or, right? And so we kind of want to get, I don't know, we want to do something else because, that awkwardness is something that's difficult for folks, not having the experience, not having it like in our bones, not knowing what does it feel like to sit in this kind of space and expand into this new dimension. Mm-hmm. Wait, it's funny because it, it is one of the things that I think we also miss about being able to sit with like elders and like, like yeah. that over time, and I mean like over generations and generations, yeah, yeah, yeah. we've moved from this place of having more shared stories. Because I think that that was some, one of the ways that we learned how to do that, to have that. Like, I like, I always love the, the imagery of like having, feeling it in your bones. Like mm-hmm. I know how to do this. I think for a long time that came from being in a large enough sort of family collective that there was somebody who would do that and model that or be yeah. with you in that. So that you then have that to pass on to someone else. Um, and I, you know, for a variety, for a lot of reasons, it's like a whole other podcast conversation. That's a whole nother thing. And we can allude to it. (laughs) Have we gotten to a place where we don't, we don't do that as much? Um, yeah. And it, but we can, you know, it makes me sad that we don't, but I, I, it is also a reminder to me, like, I think that's very human, Yeah, very human experience. And so we can, if we, um, you know, if we're given the space and, and kind of do a little digging around for the courage to do that. And I guess kind of comes full circle to me around the, like, another reason therapy is not a dirty word is to me is therapy is a space of saying like, come and be your full messy human self. Yes. And there is another human being who wants to sit with you in that. Who wants to sit with you in that, who wants to just feel the resonance with you. Yeah. And I think this is also something that um, I've heard you talking about who is also human, mm-hmm. right? Who's also just on a journey. Yeah. 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 I, I, I feel very, as a therapist, I feel very passionate about the um, just moving away as much as possible from the idea of like therapists as superheroes and gurus and like, and there is a, like, we can't pretend that there is not a power dynamic to the work that we do. There is a power. Yeah. yeah, There's a very clear power dynamic inside of sessions, but that we are still human and that that is in my, this is from my work. Like I think some days that's the most powerful thing that I have to offer my clients is, is that I, I know all of these things and I've done all this training and I have these skills and I still show up as a human being who has all of their own stuff. Right. My stuff is not fodder for, for, our, for our hour together, but that I can, that I'm being here with you, not sort of sitting on high observing or analyzing, but I want to sit with you in your process. The with you part, yeah. right? That, that, that is like, oh, that's the healing experience right there. Yeah. That I want to sit with you. Yeah. yeah. 
And it brings me back to kind of what we're missing out on, as we were alluding to before, like, you know, the, I, I have um, had the privilege and the opportunity to study with Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes. And one of uh-huh. the things I love about studying with her is that there's like a hundred of us kind of sitting at her feet and listening to story from an elder, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's like, you know, kind of like a pilgrimage that I take in, in my own learnings. And it's a place where I have learned so much about what we've missed out on yes. by not having those kinds of spaces. Um, and so as you were talking before, one of the things that I think thought about is I, I, I caught myself thinking of the word capitalism. Like this is part of what has taken away those spaces for so many of us mm-hmm. and has put us into these dynamics of power over versus power with that is really what therapy in an ideal situation yeah. can move us back towards, right? Because it's, it's the sitting together with again. It's the being in resonance. And that's really it. It's the being in resonance. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. I love the, I love the imagery. Um, you made me think of, uh, gosh, it's been a long time, but years ago, I was in a peer supervision group. Um, and it was four of us, all roughly the same age. And then um, Joan, who was this amazing therapist. I mean, at the time, I feel like Joan was probably in her, 60s or 70s, but she's been doing this for so long. And, and yes, she knew lots of things and lots of training and all of that. But going to that group once or twice a month yeah. felt like, I, I used to joke, um, I love Little Women, the mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, every time I'm here, it reminds me of like the image of like the, you know, the March girl sitting at the feet, at their mother's feet in front of right. this fire and that experience. And like, but we miss, we do, we miss that. And I, I absolutely agree with you that there is um, capitalism and, you know, and if we really can get into, I think capitalism certainly in America is also tied very much into kind of white supremacy, yes. and like all of these. And those systems work by creating, yeah, power over. Power over dynamics instead of power, instead of shared power, instead of we are yeah. in this together. Yeah. yeah. I think it functions in a way. And for me, like that power over dynamic is in part about that there has to be a group that is dehumanized. Yes. Right. Because somebody has to sort of become the like commodity, the resource, the tool. And that dehumanizing, even if we don't see it so overtly, it keeps us apart. The thing that we as human beings long for the most. The connection. Yeah, we are in the system that by its very design is about keeping at least some of us disconnected. And I think it seeps even into our familial relationships, Yeah, right? Like we learn because we're, we're living inside of this ecosystem, right? We're all breathing this air. Yeah. And so we learn that like we do it to each other. We do it to the people we love the most, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely... And I've had some conversations with folks around, um, I, you know, I, we see it a lot and, and there's some interesting conversations around it in terms of race and like yeah. the value, 
in the same breath as kind of like trying to dismantle a system, right? And do anti-racism work, mm-hmm. having to constantly come back to, but like our, our values are our milestones of what it means to be successful, to grow, still being directed by the, the system, system that we live inside of. The system that we live inside of, which is also the system that we're trying to like redesign or dismantle. And that's such a complex place to be. Of it, and it really does require, I think, going back to what you were talking about of being, learning how to be in resonance with people. Yeah. And that that is in fact a really, it's a scary, it's a vulnerable place. Oh my gosh, it's so vulnerable. Yeah. I think it was almost two years ago now that I had the opportunity to sit with an interview, Resma Menachem, kind of like we're talking right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about being in resonance and, and sitting with how all of these powerful power dynamics and racial pieces sit inside of our souls and our beings and being able to, to talk with others. That was about two years ago. And it's just like this summer that I'm finally starting my, my group with with local practitioners who are ready to do the work. It's taken two years from that seed being planted to now where I actually have a group ready to start doing that deep inner work. Yeah. And it's interesting because like, as you're saying that, I'm like, but you know, that stuff takes time and patience. And then I sort of circle back to the whole, like, but capitalism is not about that. Right. It's not right. And so, so when we start talking about, and and therapy takes time and patience, right. Mm And, and like, so these are the, the parts of like what I've made up this word. I think it's a hard one for me to like literally get out of my mouth sometimes, but it's like a combination of of a few different words. So, you know, the word witness, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. when we're witnessing something, but now it's withness, (laughs) It always kind of comes out a little funny, right? But so I think that this withnessing, like if we are with ourselves, if we are in resonance with and with our therapist or our therapist is with us in that way, this is the thing that in so many ways, I think can really like just, just heal through like, you know, ripple through an ecosystem and really do a lot of healing. But it's the thing that, is so devalued in so many ways because it's that like, it's the being, not the doing. Yeah. Oh, it's exactly that. It's so much of that. And like we value, we are in a system that values productivity, efficiency, busyness, doing a thing. And so to say like, so the things that you're struggling with are going to be better by simply being like, (laughs) We're just going to be together for, I don't know, six months, a year, maybe two years. We're just going to be like, that sounds, you know, we, in the context of, you know, the system we live in, that sounds crazy. Like what? No, what a waste of time. What a waste of money. And yet it is exactly what we all are longing for the most. Like people talk about sort of healing these things. And I think we, we are still so much in a struggle of going, Oh, but healing takes time and and she said and witness. Yeah. And and witness doesn't look like much. It doesn't sometimes look like anything at all. Right. Yeah. There's no way to like put a value on it and to to say this is what it's worth. Right. 
until you've done it for a while. And then you're like, well, it changed my life. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, no, I don't like, I, I can't imagine living the way I used to live or relating to people the way I used to relate. And it's not, it's not because you move to some magical, perfect utopian way of being. It's just, you're like, oh, this is what it's like to be my whole self in my life. That's amazing. This That's is what it's point. like to be my whole self in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a value to being wholly mm-hmm. who you are. Yeah. But it's not a value that anybody could put on something or that anyone could explain to you. It's just one that like you, let's go back to that. You have to feel in your bones. Yeah. 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 And that, you know, sometimes I just hope I'm like, oh, I think almost by accident, many of us have that experience just periodically in life, right? Like you, you do a thing, you listen to a song, you, I don't know, you meet somebody and you click and like, they're your new best friend or romantic partner, or, you know, you, you get a, even since it's at work, right? Like you start to do something and you find this passion around this sense of purpose and what's happening. Like we get these moments of it, even without trying but we don't know how to name it. And then we don't know how to go back like, oh, but the idea that you could have that experience at like in your whole life as like a complete way of being, not these sort of magic moments, I think is hard to wrap our heads around sometimes. Yeah, well, I think it's hard to wrap our heads around until we have entered into it. It's like a whole new dimension, Mm -hmm. right? And that like, if we go backwards a little bit in our conversation, that's the invitation, right? That's the space. Like when, when I learn enough about what my value is, when you learn enough about what your value is, it's from that place that we can make an invitation to sit with and get to know each other. Yeah. Right. And, and the boundary then that we start learning about is one that protects that value, protects the value in me and protects the value in you. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Thinking about it from that place of, yeah, if that's the, and it feels like a subtle shift of, you know, before we were recording, we were talking about that feeling of needing to take care of people Mm -hmm. and that shift of like, no, it's not about protecting you or fixing you or taking care of you, but, but the value in you, right? Like that, how can I honor that? in you and in me. And that's, that, that becomes a different thing. Not so again, back to that sense of doing. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I keep getting curious because there's a bit of a dreamer in me about what this world could be like if we all were oriented more towards that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, it feels like it's a reach. Yes. And magical. It does. And I think you and I have both seen people shifting in our own offices, you know, in our own selves, in our own relationships. We have borne witness to the possibility of, you know, on on small numbers, not, we're not talking like the whole worldwide population, but with the people that come to us, um, I think we've both seen some shifts. So it doesn't feel impossible, but it, I don't know. It doesn't, you know, it's, 
as you talk about it and I think about one of the things that I have actually struggled with this year is I think optimist is probably, if you ask almost anybody who knows me, that's gotta be like top three adjectives. And this has been a year for me of really struggling with that. Like it's something that I think has been so integral to like my own sense of identity. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I have a hard time dreaming. But what it has also reminded me of is so much of what we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. being able to sit with other people. Yeah. That that has been the place that, because as you said, like I've seen it, I've watched, I mean, humans are amazing. You know, people are just like, oh, isn't it like, does it burn you out? Don't you get depressed? I'm like, no, because that moment where you see somebody grow from something, heal from something, change their way of being with a partner um, is amazing. Yeah. But also being with other people who, because we all are able to hold that hope and optimism and dream about the possibilities of like the world being different, of people being different, that 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 ebbs and flows. And so it's it's just another value and like of being able to be in, as you said, like in resonance with and sitting with others is, so it's okay for me to feel slightly less optimistic than I'm used to, because I've also figured out how to cultivate a circle of people, of relationships that allow me to just be with them. And in being with them, Hmm. being really reconnected to like, a part of myself. And I think that, that that's, that's another piece of it. That's another piece of like the value, the gift of that process. I love the, the part where you said, because of the people that you, the, the group of people that you've cultivated, right. That, that that's the part that also allows, like there's, there's a discernment in there. There's a, there's a, I feel a very gentle intention right? Around who you call into that group, who you, who you surround yourself with. Yeah. That allows you to be. Yeah. And it's something, I mean, I encourage so many people, you know, clients and friends and family, like it is, it is an intention that we, and again, it comes back to what we, you know, we're talking about earlier of the Mm -hmm. first it's about being with yourself. Yeah because that's part of what allows you to have the discernment for like, oh, who, who are the people that I need to kind of come close, right? Like call closer to me so we can be to get like, that that's what cultivating it looks like. I can't, you know, if you think of it, it's like, like cultivating land. Like if I don't know what I'm trying to plant <laughs> and I don't know the conditions in which it, you know, does it need acidic soil and lots of sun, low sun, like how much water, like if I don't know those things, I can't really cultivate much of anything. You just sort of get what you get. And sometimes you get something great, but like there's no real intention behind it versus this that like kind of getting to know yourself is about saying like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is what I want to cultivate in my life. And these are the, this is what I need to be able to do that. And so then you get to ask different things, different questions and discern different things of the people you spend your time with. And not just people, content too. Yeah. And I think this is, this is that layered approach, right. That you're also talking about, because as you're giving this example of the garden, I'm like, oh, that was my garden last year. This year, it's going to be different because, right. What I learned then was, 
-hmm. And, you know, these things don't go well with each other. This needs, or I need to plant this before I plant that. And so I'm just kind of thinking into what my experience was gardening last year and what I'm already doing, shifting and doing differently this year. Those are like the nuances and, and the layers that we're talking about. And even in terms of getting to know ourselves, you like extrapolating that example into, yeah. into these aspects of our self, self-tending. Yeah. yeah. That's big. I love that self-tending because, you know, we talk a lot of, yeah, I mean, there's part of me, I'm like, I love that self-care is so trendy right now on the mm-hmm. one hand and on the other hand, I'm like, oh, but there's layers. There's so there's many layers. layers. Yeah. I like, I t- often I'll be like self-nurturing, but I like self-tending. That yeah, I caught myself. Left. I didn't want to say self-care. Yeah. 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 I'm like, self-care is a piece of a much bigger, yeah. much pool of things that, that we need in order to nurture, to tend to ourselves. Yeah. Esther, I have loved this conversation. I would love to stay in conversation with you. And I also want to value your time and our listeners' time. And so I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners where they could find more about you. Absolutely. So you can find, as you said at the beginning, I do lots of things. So the, sort of the easiest, like kind of like ground like launching pad is estherboykin.com so that's my website from there you can get information about my group practice which is based in like the bc metro area um that's group therapy associates and you can also link to therapy is not a dirty word where we host happy hours and dinners retreats and podcasts and you can buy cute little tote bags there's a lot happening there um and then your instagram account and my instagram account which I would like to help. You can find me on all the social media at Esther B MFT, but I am definitely most active and responsive on Instagram. So I would love it if people want to follow me there and connect. We do, I try to get on live and, and have a lot of conversation on Instagram as well. Yeah. Thank you again so much for joining us here today. Oh, on the connect on this practice podcast. I, I have loved this conversation and I feel like, um, I feel like we can go so much deeper. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. This has been lovely. It has been such a joy to to be with you today, right? Yeah. To and be in connection with each other. Yeah, I've really enjoyed being with you too. Thank you. I hope that you got a lot out of listening today. You know, when I reflect back on what I got out of this episode, I think the thing that impresses me the most, well, there's there's multiple pieces. But one of the things that impresses me the most from this conversation is the gentleness. And I just want to point that out because I think that gentleness is really one of these big pieces here. When we're doing this deep work and we're exploring our own healing journey, so often what we come across are these like implicit ways of even judging ourselves, judging our own process. And the really cool kind of like nerdy piece that I just want to share with you here is that like judgment and curiosity don't coexist. Like they use the same part of our brain. So we kind of have to make a choice between this or that, between judgment or curiosity. And the more often that you can lean towards that curiousness, the more space you make for yourself, the more of that gentle relationship and that you start to cultivate 
And so if this episode really reached you, then I encourage you to lean in a little bit more towards that curiosity. I think you'll find that to be really effective. And with that, I want to just make note that I have another episode coming out in about two-ish weeks. And after that, I will be taking a break and restore and replenish a little bit for me because I need to. And then I'll be back with season three probably in late September. So I hope that you are well. I hope that you're taking care of yourself. And I hope that you're cultivating safe, gentle spaces for your own journey. Oh, and before I go, hop on over to the Why Does My Partner podcast. My colleagues Jules, Vicky, and I have been creating some amazing content over there as well. I would love for you to check that podcast out too. And then I'll be back and I'll see you again here soon. You can learn more about my connectfulness counseling practice and my online workshops at connectfulness.com. And if you haven't already, check out the new podcast that I'm co-hosting called Why Does My Partner? We'd love for you to hop on over, give us a listen, and send us listener questions over at whydoesmypartner.com. I want to express my deep gratitude for Sarah and Chris Ferris, the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack for the Connectfulness Practice podcast, which they recorded and mixed at Kidneystone Studio. And more gratitude for Little Green Art House for all of our post-production needs. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. Take good care and be well. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com events.